we remember that it is Jesus who saves us. And so the palm branches, as that, a sign of that victory, will be present. But we'll also remember that after the triumphal entry to Jerusalem, which we're about to read about in Scripture, in John chapter 12, beginning at verse 12 and going through verse 19. As you find your way there, um, we're going to remember with the palm branches that today we celebrate the triumphal entry, the, the big parade of Jesus entering Jerusalem. But that hype, that excitement won't last. It will fade over time. It will be quickly forgotten as shortly after this, Jesus will be betrayed and crucified and handed over to death. I wonder about the palm branches that were waved so triumphantly and how many of them were left on the streets to wither and to dry out. And I wonder if on Jesus' walk to the mountain with his cross as he carried it through the streets, I wonder, and I have a pretty good, I have a pretty good feeling the answer is yes, if there were palm branches from the triumphal entry left on the streets, that as the crowds had shouted, Hosanna, save us, that then Jesus, carrying the cross for us, saw those same palm branches as he made his way out of Jerusalem to Golgotha, where he would be crucified. For that reason, next week, you'll see a few palm branches laid about, and they might be a little bit sad looking by next week. And that's on purpose. That's to remind us that we cannot forget. We cannot forget the reason that they were waved in the first place, which was a triumphal victory. Hosanna, God save us. And that as Jesus carried his cross to save us, he would know that the victory was happening, just not in the way people expected. As we've been going through different um, points of Jesus' life and ministry through Lent, if you haven't been with us, um, we've focused on one character at a time and paid attention to the transformation that happened. If, if someone encountered Jesus, we believe that they were changed. There was transformation that occurred as a result of being close to Jesus. And so we thought about the Pharisee Nicodemus who came to Jesus secretly at night, but then also we can remember that by next week, he would be helping collect Jesus' body. Something changed in Nicodemus. Something was already changed that Jesus drew out in the centurion who needed his servant healed. Something had been changed in the disciples as they walked with Jesus. Well, today, there's not just one single character that we zero in on. Today is all of the crowds gathered together, waving palm branches, shouting Hosanna, and quoting scripture, and also adding some things that weren't from the scriptures that they were quoting. Hmm. But maybe today it works out really well that we had a baptism. And so that maybe the transformation that we focus on today is what do we hope and pray, thinking of baptism today, that Breslin will be transformed by Jesus? What do we hope that Palm Sunday, as she grows in wisdom and understanding, what do we hope that Palm Sunday will teach her as she grows? But knowing that we share in the same baptism, all of us, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if we talk about Breslin, because it's her day, it's also talking about all of us, 
and what transformation we hope we also gain from this day of remembering Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So we're going to read John 12, 12 through 19 together. And I invite you, um, after the reading of God's word, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you are grateful for it, I invite you to respond with, thanks be to God. Before we read God's word, let's pray together. Jesus, you are the one who is victorious over life and death. And we come here today to to read your word, to study it, and to remember that victory in the depth of our hearts, that it may change and transform us. So speak to us today. Speak to us your truth. Speak to the corners of our hearts that need a reawakening. Speak to us in the ways in which we are defeated, that we may be reminded of your victory over death, and that the cross is where the Hosanna took place. God, open our hearts to your word as we study together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the long shot that Breslin is listening back to this in the future, Breslin, these words are for you, for lessons that we hope you learned. But today we're going to pick on your parents because it's up to them, but not only them, to teach you these lessons. Them with the cooperation of the whole church fulfilling our baptismal promises as a congregation. But the first lesson of transformation that we can take from Palm Sunday as we read of it in John 12 is this. Study your Bible well. Study your Bible well. Because some things will make more sense after the fact. There are times where you open your Bible and there's just, it's just speaking to you in a way that blows your mind. I think those are few and far between, though, in comparison to regular study being in the Word and how it just shapes and forms us and contours our minds that then we look back on things and they might make more sense. Let me give an example of how some things make more sense after the fact when we study our Bible well, knowing that if we study God's activity in the Word, we are more likely to be able to notice God's activity in the world. 
If we study God's activity in the Word, we are more likely to understand God's activity in the world. The first example is pretty obvious. It's right in front of us. It's after this whole procession that that John, in verse 16, adds this kind of after-the-fact commentary. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. The whole procession just happened in Jerusalem, but they didn't really get it. There was a big crowd. They had a parade for Jesus. There was a lot of excitement, a lot of hype. It was a big emotional high where they got caught up in the moment. But we're told at first they didn't understand all of this. It was only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Study your Bible well. Because it wasn't until later on that that everything clicked into place and that even the disciples, who were good students of Scripture, realized after the fact later on all of the things that happened to Jesus and how they lined up and matched in with the Old Testament being fulfilled. They would not catch that or understand the significance of it if they hadn't studied their Bibles well, if they hadn't paid attention. Study your Bible well, Breslin. Travis and Julie, you've got the Jesus Storybook Bible. Wear that book out so that Breslin can be kind of the smart-alecky know-it-all if she wants to be in Children of Worship because she knows the stories. Because if she notices God's activity in the Word, she'll be more likely to see God's activity in the world. Like the disciples who had their aha moment a little bit later after the fact, based on what they already knew. But there's one other important piece of this. Study your Bible well so that you can catch counterfeit. Study it well so that you catch counterfeit. And I don't want to pick on the crowds, because I think if we were there, if there was a parade for Jesus, knowing that this is shortly after the raising of Lazarus from the dead, it's mentioned here in our chapter, and it just happened in John 11. If we were there too, if we heard of someone who had raised someone from the dead, we would be caught up in the moment as well. And that now this person is coming into Jerusalem, maybe they're coming as king, Maybe this is the moment where everything will be put back the way we want it. I think we'd be caught up in the crowd too, shouting, Hosanna, save us. But the salvation that they're thinking of is more of saving their nation, not saving their souls. They shout, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which, that's from Scripture. That is from Psalms. But then they add something else. Blessed is the king of Israel. They go from quoting Psalm 118, verses 8 through 10, and then they add their own little tag to the end of it. Blessed is the king of Israel. We go from Hosanna, God save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here comes salvation. Here comes our Savior, the one who will save us from our sins but that's not actually what the crowd is looking for. That's why they add that tag at the end, blessed is the king of Israel. Because the Jews have now lived for some time under the thumb of Rome, and it's, been, it's worked out well for some, to tax collectors like Matthew and Zacchaeus, but it hasn't worked out so well for others. And so now as they sing Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel, 
they're hoping that this, this person on the donkey over there can restore our nation to being what it was. But they're not thinking about salvation from sin. What they're after here is, instead of having an emperor named Caesar somewhere far away, we'll have our own king again. They will have a king, but not the kind that they're looking for, not the king as servant, not the one who will be named the king of the Jews with a sign on his cross saying as much, to which the Pharisees will protest and say, don't call him the king of the Jews. We don't want to mess up relations with Rome. Just say that he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate says, what I have written, I have written. The king of the Jews, crucified. But study your Bible well to catch the things that might get added in. That the original Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, was a faithful proclamation of the psalm. But then the people of their own will and desire added something of their own that does not come from Psalm 118. Blessed is the king of Israel was their own addition based off of their own hopes that weren't found or being fulfilled from the Old Testament in the way that the people thought. Study your Bible well to catch counterfeit. Secondly, faith sustained by signs and wonders and those kind of hype moments, those spiritual highs, won't be very faithful in the end. We see the crowd that has come out, and and who can't help but to be excited. And word has spread about the resurrection of Lazarus. The crowd has a lot of joy. There is a lot of hope in the air. And it is an amazing moment. And we are right to remember it even today with palm branches shouting Hosanna to remember that salvation and victory had taken place. It was a spiritual high that had just happened. But our faith can't be sustained by the spiritual highs. They won't It won't last from that. Our faith will not be faithful if we're just looking for that next moment that's really big and good. We do need those. We need those to refresh us and charge us up. But our faith can't be dependent on going from big moment to big moment. Faith has to be lived not just on Hosanna, God save us days, but also on all the other days that people would walk the streets of Jerusalem, so quickly forgetting their palm branches that had been left in the streets, once a sign of victory, and now just trash, litter in the city. Faith cannot be sustained just by our moments of spiritual high. Faith is found maybe in the high moments, but is lived out in the valleys, because things don't grow on mountaintops. We can't be sustained just by those moments. And Crowds will often latch on to some excitement, some hype. And this leads us to the fulfillment of the Old Testament, that Jesus would be accompanied by this great group, cheering him on as he made his way into Jerusalem. But only Jesus, really knowing and understanding that he was going to Jerusalem to die for us, to be crucified as a criminal. Faith sustained by signs and wonders and hype moments won't ultimately be very faithful. We see this playing out with the Pharisees a bit too. They've had their good moments, and yet they're also just always waiting for the next thing, the next affirmation that is theirs. 
they can't see anything that's happening within the crowd as good because it's only taking away. This, this spiritual high should be for us. We're the good guys of the story, and it's getting taken away by Jesus. Hence, the Pharisees hate him all the more. This raising of Lazarus business has just grabbed too much attention from the people, and the Pharisees are uncomfortable by it. But this is the tension that Jesus has had with the Pharisees all along. The Pharisees have always, and the people around him, they've always gotten focused in on the signs and wonders. Jesus healed people, Jesus fed people, Jesus said that he forgave people's sins. That's where the action was always at. The crowd has followed Jesus because of the signs and wonders. And at different points in the Gospels, Jesus has critiqued them for it and said, if these signs and wonders had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, wicked, evil cities of the Gentiles, if they had been performed here, those cities would have repented. You can't give enough. Jesus is saying, I can't give you enough signs to make you believe in a sustaining way. The crowd is always waiting for the next sign, the next big thing. But I hope for Breslin and for all of us that our faith is sustained by our everyday rhythms that have been shaped and formed by worship on Sunday, but the habits of Sunday spilling out into the rest of the week. That we remember Hosanna, God save us, is not just a one-day thing, but it is an every moment of every day occurrence. We can't sustain ourselves on the hype. It's like drinking Red Bull and Smarties as your only diet. And as exciting as that sounds, and might be a really interesting experiment for Bennett, but maybe a bad idea, that won't sustain us. We won't grow very well on Red Bull and Smarties. It'll give us, well, a bit of energy and then probably a really bad headache following. Be mindful of the crowd. The crowd has a lot of hype. They're looking for the next big sign. They're here because Lazarus was raised from the dead. That was amazing. They've heard of Jesus' faith, his, his miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. All of this has been really good. But as parents, Travis and Julie, as I'm sure you will be, be mindful of the crowd that you're with, and of course, be mindful of the crowd that your children are with and in. At a baby shower, one of the best pieces of advice that I remember receiving um, for Caitlin and I was, know your children's friends and know their parents. Good advice, but meaning know the crowd that you're with. That does not mean that we shut ourselves off from anybody who's not like us. It doesn't mean that we hide with our other like-minded people and, heaven forbid, we discuss anything that we disagree with with people who think differently. It does not mean that because the church is gathered, but the church is also sent on mission. We cannot be the light of the world if we hide ourselves together. But be mindful of the crowd you're with. Reading your Bible well, pick up on maybe the counterfeit of your crowd. But being mindful of the crowd you're with comes to us again from Palm Sunday. And it's what the Pharisees say. Be careful about crowds with an ever-accusing nature. In verse 19, the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Be mindful of how a crowd that you surround yourself with that is always accusing that is always putting down, that is always blaming someone else, that is always pointing out how it's someone else's fault, be mindful of how that crowd 
will take you down spiritually. In fact, there's a little nuance in, in the Greek of the New Testament that it's a second person plural that they're addressing. It's not just see this in general. It's see you all are getting us nowhere. The Pharisees are having a finger pointing session that it is all somebody else's fault. Avoid crowds that only blame others. Because Christ demonstrated for us that we do take responsibility. In fact, Christ took responsibility for our sins that was not even his own. But it was his calling and mission for us and for us to share it with the world. Be mindful of the attitude of the crowd you're with. Because sometimes it'll be really fun. But that might not be sustaining. And sometimes that crowd, the crowd of accusation, of blaming, of subjugating someone else, of projecting that it's the, the blame is somewhere out there and never with us. This will make us spiritually shallow people. And that's the result of what happened to the Pharisees. Many of them, not all, there were the Nicodemuses, and I would say Gamaliels of the New Testament around, but many of them remained spiritually shallow because their faith was built on blaming others for their problems. See, this is getting us nowhere. Now we can go back and see whose fault it really was. We'll get there in just a minute. But watch out for crowds that forget quickly. For crowds that blame, for play that blame game like the Pharisees. But also for the excited crowds that forget quickly. Surround yourself, especially your close circle of friends, with those who hold you accountable and who help you remember. Everybody needs that friend who is known for saying, I told you so, because that friend will keep us in line because we don't want to mess up just to hear him say, I told you so. I had a friend like that, and we sometimes behaved better just because we didn't want Keith to tell us that it was a bad idea and then somebody gets hurt, and we're like, can we hide this, or do we have to own up to it because we need medical attention? And none of us wanted Keith to have the privilege of saying, I told you so. Surround yourself with people who think things through, but also who have an institutional memory, who hold accountable and say, weren't we just waving these palm branches, shouting Hosanna about that guy when he was on a donkey? And now we're shouting, crucify him, crucify him, as he walks the streets carrying a cross? Part of having a community of faith around us as we do for baptism is that we hold each other accountable. We lift each other up. And we don't let things become easily forgotten. There is grace and forgiveness. But there's an accountability to remembering and to holding on to victory. Sometimes, we can be not forgetful in the wrong ways, where we just hold blame, and then we're back into the Pharisee camp. The Pharisees don't forget, but they only play blame games. The crowd forgets easily and moves on to the next big energy wave of the crowd, which shifted over to crucify him, crucify him. So study your Bible well. Some things are going to make more sense after the fact. Sometimes you'll look back on life and say, man, that was miserable when I was going through it, and now it makes sense. Sometimes, but not always. But we still study God's activity in the Word so that we can see God's activity in the world. Study well, 
wait for things to make sense. Faith sustained by signs and wonders won't be very faithful. Be mindful of the attitude of the crowd you're with. And one of the hardest lessons to learn, and yet one that comes to us directly from the Gospel of John, is this. Even your enemies will get things right sometimes. Even your enemies will get things right sometimes. And they might get it right by accident. But before we as a community of faith, as a safeguard for becoming self-righteous, where we know what's good and right, and nobody else has anything worthwhile to say or offer, nobody else has anything true, we remember as a church that even our opponents get some things right. And uncomfortably, they might get some things right about us. And this is something that we, as a community of faith, hold ourselves accountable to. That sometimes what we don't want to hear from the outside might be a word of truth yet. Where do we bring this from the Gospel of John? From John chapter 11. We're going to pick up at verse 49. Because this is the accidental prophesying of Caiaphas, an enemy of the Jesus movement. Caiaphas, who has the first one with credit, you know what, we should probably just have Jesus killed. Caiaphas, an enemy of Jesus, is the one who accidentally gets it right, even though he doesn't know it. John 11, verse 49, this is after Lazarus has been raised from the dead. The Pharisees are uncomfortable because all the hype is going to this. And then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You, you all, know nothing at all. There's that accusatory tone again of blame games. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. It is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Did you catch that he actually gets this right about one man, Jesus, dying for all the people? But what he's holding on to is he doesn't want the nation of Israel to perish. It's his national identity that he's really after here. And he figures if Jesus is taking too much credit and raveling things up, if he dies, that's better for us because then we won't get bad attention from Rome. It won't challenge our relationship with our overseers. But verse 51 tells us in John 11, he, Caiaphas, did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Caiaphas gets it right. He thinks it would be better for one person to die for everyone. He doesn't really understand how that is going to impact the whole world. He doesn't understand that Jesus' death is not just to make the Jewish nation settle down a little bit, but that his death is for all people throughout the whole world, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. Jesus is going to die for all people, the Jewish nation, but also all of the children of God scattered throughout the world. Caiaphas is an enemy of Jesus, and yet he gets that right. He gets it right by accident. I wonder if the disciples would learn more as they went on 
there's a few mentions in the Gospel of John of the things that they look back on, that they made more sense of. I wonder if Caiaphas ever looked back, but I doubt it, because I think his way of being in the world was to just accuse other people of what was wrong, and that probably brought him nowhere. But I wonder, I wonder where Nicodemus was in the midst of all this. Nicodemus, who is intrigued by Jesus, who wants to follow Jesus, who has questions for Jesus. In just a little while, it's going to be Nicodemus who will help Jesus' body be recovered. I wonder if things were falling into place and clicking in Nicodemus' mind as everything was fulfilled with Christ. Because I think Nicodemus, like we hope for Breslin, probably studied his Bible well, and things made sense with time. His faith was sustained by an active curiosity and by a seeking of God's will. I think Nicodemus was mindful of the attitude of the crowd that he was with, and even he was willing to separate out from it from time to time to gain perspective from Christ himself in John chapter 3. I think Nicodemus knew that even his enemies would get things right from time to time, and that's what drew him to Jesus at first. And then I wonder if he understood differently who his crowd and who his enemies really were. All of this, we hope the same for Breslin. And Travis and Julie, that you'll read well. You'll love on your daughter as you do your son. That you will raise her in faith to notice and to pay attention. To be mindful of how we show up in the world, not as self-righteous or ever-accusing Pharisees, but as faithful, curious, thoughtful children of God, well-versed in the Word and actively looking for how God is at work in the world. This is our prayer answered for Breslin and her baptism. May it also be something true for all of us to always strive for and to seek after. And when we seek after these things, we find our true victory where Christ has saved us. Not just one day a year, but each moment of every day. Hosanna, God save us. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you came to Jerusalem as a king, though you weren't recognized as the king that you truly were. Lord, as we remember Hosanna, may we remember that you do save us. And this is your grace, your gift of free grace poured out for us. As we study the word and as we study the world around us, may we see the ways in which you are moving and at work. In humility, may you make sense of the world around us for us in ways that we cannot see. And so we need your vision. May we hear your voice in ways that we don't hear on our own because we need you to speak to us. Sustain our faith in the everyday. Bless us with those moments of spiritual high, but help us to grow in the valleys between. God, surround us with the right crowd and the attitude of a crowd that is grace-filled, but also accountable, mindful, thoughtful, remembering what is good, not overlooking that which is evil and holding, holding on to hope. 
And Lord, may the words of our enemies like Caiaphas, who spoke the truth on accident, may you give us the ears to hear the world around us in a way that gives us the perspective that we need. Help us to see ourselves the way we are seen so that we can further our mission and witness to you in a way that's accurate and helpful and connects to the world around us. On this day of palms and of sweet hosannas and victory, may we look ahead to the cross knowing that it was ultimately your death that would bring victory to us and your resurrection hope that would save us. Lord, this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our King. In his name we pray.